all part of the plan, episode 21 of DC Talk here on Get Into Geek. My name is Mitch, talking all things DC on the big and little screen. Our first episode of 2024, the year the DCU officially begins. It's a soft launch, sure, we're not getting Superman Legacy until next year. Yes, we can finally say that. But the soft launch, Creature Commando, is coming out at some stage before the end of 2024. So I will be continuing my journey up until then, probably, of the old school DC TV and my reviews of the next batch of episodes coming up at the end of the podcast. First up, some movie news, though, because Aquaman is not too far away from hitting home screens. And I say that with an unfortunate tone in my voice because I've still not been to the cinemas to see Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. It's been out for just shy of a month and already this movie is about to hit home release. And when I say already, I'm talking in less than a week. Tuesday, January 23, at least in the United States of America, this will be available on demand. But also after that release earlier this morning, there was news of the Blu-ray and the 4K release date for Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. And it's not that long after either. Tuesday, March 12th is the official release date in the United States. And you would expect around about the same time here in Australia as well. So between the theatrical release on Boxing Day and the Blu-ray release, we are talking less than three months, which is Okay, it's a little bit more par for the course nowadays. It does, though, still seem a little bit short considering the movie's reception. It's less than stellar box office compared to the first film and just the general let's forget the DCEU ever happened sort of vibe that it had around it, which is kind of unfortunate that this one movie is kind of bearing the brunt of all of the lingering hatred of the DCEU for those that do hate it. There are obviously pockets out there, as toxic as it may be online, that loved it. But the ones that are happy to see it ending, this film is sort of the face of the end, the finality of the DCEU before we embrace 2024 in a world where we are going to bring in more DC content, continuity shared amongst multimedia, TV, video games, and whatever else they've got coming up as well as the movies. Now, of course, the first movie will be be Superman Legacy July 2025. Production is set to start in about two months' time, sometime March this year. But Golden Globes and the Emmys happened over the last week. Rachel Brosnahan, our future Lois Lane, very much a star of both red carpets with The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel being up for a number of awards in a number of categories. She's the lead star. She's one of the producers. She is up there. And she is, of course, like I said, the face of Lois Lane for the foreseeable future. So understandably, with the movie about to go into production, we don't know too much about it, really. She's getting asked a lot about saying goodbye to a character she's been playing for six or seven years and about to embark on playing a another one for, you would assume, at least the same amount of time. Now, in amongst the Emmys and the Golden Globes, the Critics' Choice Awards were also there, and Entertainment Tonight spoke to Rachel Brosnahan, where she talked about the whole collaboration process and how everyone's feeling about moving into making Superman Legacy and what that's going to do to impact the DCU ongoing. She said, I've really enjoyed the collaboration with James Gunn so far. Every single person involved in this production is such a perfect nerd for Superman. We all grew up watching the movies. Some of us grew up reading the comics. So I feel like it's being made with so much love. I think this Superman will have a sense of humor. I'm rolling through my brain all the things I'm not allowed to say, but we're excited to put our own spin on things, but also honor this material that we all love so much. 
which itself is a great comment. She's saying wonderful things about the production. Everyone cares about the character, which is exactly what you want to hear from people going to make a movie about Superman. We want to hear that they love the character. That's pretty much all we need to know at this point. We're going to be seeing stuff from production and costumes. They've already got a great cast booked together. We just want to know that they care about the character and care about making a good movie. What else is she going to say? Nothing. That's exactly what you'd expect someone to say. So it's kind of redundant, but it's nice to hear at the same time. But of course, the internet is the internet, and as soon as she says something like, this Superman will have a sense of humour, well, you've got people that say it's going to be a joke, everyone is assuming that James Gunn is going to make it the same way he did The Suicide Squad, or Peacemaker, or something, and that he's not capable of doing something serious or heartfelt, like those key moments even as recent as something like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, or pretty much anything that he's put together. There is definitely room for both humour and comedy, and lightheartedness, but also time for some really serious stuff along the way. And I think that that's going to be covered well in Superman Legacy. She was also asked to describe her version of Lois Lane. Now, this is a Lois Lane that we're going to see in television. We're going to see her in movies. We're going to have Rachel Brosnahan voice her in animated films and in video games. So it's important to nail down what type of Lois she's going for, where she fits and what that character who's existed for decades upon decades means in a in a in a world set presumably in 2025. Now, Brosnahan was asked to give three adjectives to describe her version of Lois. She has had a little bit of fun with it, but if you've missed it, she described her as feisty, dare I say, marvelous, see what we've done there, and fiercely intelligent, which I mean kind of describes the perfect Lois anyway. Feisty, fiercely intelligent, and she is pretty marvelous. You put her up against someone like Superman, and for a character like Lois to still stand up and be as big and as loud and as important as what she is in pretty much every iteration of the character, that's about all we want. But reading that is actually quite timely for me. I've enjoyed The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, but didn't hit play on the fifth and final season until just a couple of weeks ago. So now that I've seen that and what that character went through in the spoiler alert, decades-long storytelling that that season covered, we got to see a lot of different sides of the marvellous Mrs. Maisel and what Rachel Brosnahan is capable of in a role where you think you've seen every side of that character. Seasons one through four, you think you've seen it all, and then season five through something else out. But that show is... It's a comedy, so it's lighthearted. There are definitely dark moments in there, but it is generally light and funny and poppy and very quick-witted. Not necessarily what we want from Lois all the time, but then, like I've said in the past before, you go back and you see some of the other more dramatic stuff that Brosnahan has put forward, some stuff that everyone's seen, other stuff that is more in her back catalogue. She's definitely capable, one, as an actress, and two, bringing across a Lois that is quote feisty, quote marvellous, quote fiercely intelligent, and partnering up against someone like Dave Corrinsweat, and the way that Lois has been described as being very, very important to this story, I'm very much looking forward to seeing her in the movie, and just how important Lois is going to be to the overall DC story. There's more I want to say about Lois adaptations, but it actually has to do with the Lois from Superman and Lois, which will be coming up in a couple of minutes as we crack into the DC TV part of the podcast. I'm talking about these shows as they went to air. Chronologically, there is four that went to air this particular week, way back in June 2021. My God, it has been a hot minute since these shows were on air. But first up was Batwoman Season 2, Episode 16, Rebirth. Rebirth. 
When a familiar foe descends upon Gotham, Batwoman and Mary find they must rely on each other more than ever. Meanwhile, Alice has a new mission and gets an unexpected ally to join her. So yeah, first of all, Luke is going through some shit. We left him last week, brought back to life from not only death, but choosing, preferring death. So thankfully, there has actually been some repercussions for that. With just three episodes in this season to go, including this one, mind you, I actually thought, based on the CW's past, they'd have written some of, if not most of, Luke's physical and mental recovery to have taken place between episodes. It's as if we would have gotten everything we needed from him in the dreamscape sequences of last week where he was dealing with his father's death and wanting closure on that and choosing to be with his father rather than staying alive for a purpose that he was no longer aware of. I thought, well, that's taken care of in that episode, but that's the Luke episode. No, they decided to to branch out a little bit and still give him some more to do in this episode, which I was very happy for. Cameras Johnson finally getting some meat to chew on more than one episode at a time. And I actually liked the edgier tone that Luke took on. If he's, if he's going to live, he's not just going to sit there and move on. And with Luke's story taking a new turn, we get Agent Tavaroff. He's back. His story is not over. I, I honestly thought he was going to be done after last week's episode. But it does look like the B-plot of Luke going a little darker. Tavaroff might become like a mini-villain in his own right, in the Luke part of the story. Now, talking about baddies being back, Sophia! Yay. And after some carefully worded ambiguity about any involvement in Kate's disappearance and death so far, we seemingly get confirmation here that she did play a part. Tatiana's back too, but her story definitely seems done now. A stake through the chest will do that. Now, one thing that did seem to come out of nowhere, though, is that Sophia and Black Mask are in some kind of partnership. The two big bads of the season separated narratively but also geographically, by half a world, are suddenly together and familiar enough with each other. I don't know what the end game is with this, nor do I see much of a point. Like, Sophia seemed like the quote-unquote villain of what I ended up calling the, the mini-season between Season 1 and the real Season 2, Season 2, after those first eight episodes dealing with Kate's disappearance and getting to the island and retrieving a Kate that wasn't Kate and... We've left all that behind, but maybe they will prove me wrong in the final two episodes. I don't know. Wallace Day, though. Look, it, it's worth really mentioning her now that it's more known in world that she is Kate. It's funny because before Yvissia Leslie was cast, there were some calls online, some suggestions post Ruby Rose leaving, that Rachel Scarston should take on both roles, Kate and Alice. Now... With this show often appealing to the lowest form of viewer, I'm not talking about you, but let's be honest, they make some dumb decisions so far. You're wondering, who do they think is watching that needs to be fed this sort of stuff? That decision to have one actress that played one key character, the villain of season one, all of a sudden come back and play the villain, but also the main hero. But Wallace Day... This new actress playing Kate, she's tall, she's blonde, she's got big eyes. That is actually someone who looks a lot like the twin of Alice, like Rachel Scarston. Now, of course, I haven't seen past this episode, nor do I know much of anything about what's to come. But I do know that Leslie sticks around. So they're not finally just replacing Ruby Rose with Wallace Day. I can't see the show having two Batwomen or Kate just hanging around and never donning the mask again. So I'm guessing that once the season's storyline wraps up, 
Kate leaves to go, I don't know, find herself after everything she's been through or something. That or they kill her off. But while that death would surely be the final one, especially if it happens in the season finale, it would also be ridiculous given the character has been killed, what, three times already this season? Always off screen and never seemingly confirmed enough for the viewer to believe it, even for a week between episodes. Look, all of that is just to say... It's a shame. Wallace Day seems like she would have fit in very well to this show. I like Yvissia Leslie. I, I think Ryan's been a fun enough character to follow as we've gotten to know her, but I've said from the very beginning, I think a simple recast would have saved a lot of drama between season one and the the narrative of season two, trying to reestablish the show as something new, but to an already existing, but still growing and still new fan base. And to be fair, most of this season's storylines could have pretty much played out the same if Kate was left at the helm. And Diggle! Can't forget about Diggle. Everything's better with Diggle. Look, honestly, when he showed up, a wash of calm just rushed over me. Not that Arrow was perfect, but I always love Diggle. I don't know why. I don't know what he's doing in Gotham City or what's wrong with him that he needs the doctors that only Gotham can provide. Hopefully we will see that soon, but it was fun to see him show up and stand up to even his fellow lawmen when they were doing wrong to Luke. Like, Diggle being Diggle, right? Two episodes left, we might not see him again, but the seeds have definitely been planted for whatever at least they thought they were planning at this stage before the show's ended up being cancelled. And uh, to the next one. Legends, Season 6, Episode 6, Bishop's Gambit. Mick takes the Wave Rider and Kayla to try and find Sarah. After a report of an alien attack, the Legends return to their new headquarters, and Zari is suspicious of Constantine's behaviour, but isn't surprised when she learns the truth. Look, I feel like I just watched this episode... And I already forget it. The only notes that I've got here, um, Amelia Earhart steals the Wave Rider, brings it back to Earth, turns into an alien, a fight happens. How did she know how to do that? Doesn't matter. And, oh yeah, Sarah's a clone now. Sarah Lance is a clone. That's how this show ends. Great cliffhanger. OG Sarah died somewhere between, I don't know what, landing on this planet and now? Either way, she's a clone and so is her soon-to-be fiancé. Brilliant. No, seriously, I'm moving on. Superman and Lois, episode 10 of their first season, Oh Mother, Where Art Thou? Lana reaches out to Lois and Clark when Kyle starts behaving strangely, what, when he tried to kill you. Jonathan opens up to Jordan while Sarah storms out after accusing her mum of always covering for her dad. Okay, let's start at the beginning of the episode. Superman has a long-lost half-brother in Morgan Edge. Okay, I'll allow it. Look, I'm not well-versed in comic lore, but I've certainly never known Edge to be Kryptonian, nor related to Superman in any way. So it's an interesting choice when the showrunners could have had, I don't know, an entirely new character be there instead. But maybe they like the idea of the deception of giving you a character that is well-established in lore for decades and decades, having not been what it kind of looked like was very clear where they were pointing the character to go. So here we get, well, I mean, not quite Red Sun or anything, let's be honest, but certainly a Superman with a, let's say, slightly less fortunate origin story once he hit Earth. Plus, he's angry that Mummy left way back when on Krypton. 
He's been planning this for a while. So anyone that's sort of sat back in the shadows a little bit like that, they need watching. To be honest, this is my favourite episode in a while. Certainly the best since the show came back after its early break after five episodes. Now, given the title, the show is more than just letting Superman shine. Now, usually it's Lois sharing that shine, but here it's kind of all hands on deck. Jonathan, he kind of becomes the Lois of the two brothers. He's doing what he can without powers. He's trying to help Sarah, trying to stand up when more and more people around him are revealed to be souped up. If anything, Jordan took a bit of a back step in this one as he dealt with more of guilt from keeping things from Sarah and, I mean, really didn't have much else to do. So Jonathan definitely picked up that slack, which has been good to watch an actor from their point of view because I feel like Jonathan, like the character, the actor has kind of been left by the wayside a lot because it's a little bit more interesting to watch Superman and his superpowered son figure some stuff out while Lois is tending to other things and then Jonathan is just there to exist and be angry that he's not in Metropolis anymore and slowly get used to life and where he fits in this family but never to a great extent whereas I feel here given a little bit more to do. It's a bit of a gimme considering the episode title too, but so much of Superman iterations in the past have had to do with his father or fathers, so fathers, more so than his mothers. In this show, the move to Smallville was for his mother and what he's trying to establish as a family. Here, he's getting closure with his Krypton mum and Clark is relying so much on the other side of his parents. I know Edge has kind of handpicked who he is resurrecting so that they share the same motive as he, but I'm glad the show didn't feel the temptation to have Lara go a little dark and that Edge's endgame was some kind of evil contingency of hers when she created the machine that kind of gave birth to his whole plan in the first place. We've heard in every movie or show before, Jor-El's wishes for Kal-El and what he could achieve and it being favoured really more in his saviour capabilities. Whereas here, Lara's more interested in his life as Clark, as a husband and a father, as a human and... I really, I don't know, I really like that. It probably seems like low-hanging fruit, like it's an easy thing to do. She's maternal, she's just worried about who he is as a person and not what he can do. I don't know, I still bought into it. It's funny too, because in the last couple of weeks on Twitter, as we gear up for any news around Superman Legacy, even the stuff I was talking about before, I've seen a lot of comic book panels shared about the more sensitive side of the character. Like, there's one where he's just sitting with someone elderly. There's another one where he he talks a suicidal person down from a ledge. Or there's one, it was probably my favourite where he's having lunch with a man he'd put in jail years earlier. He's fresh out of jail, he's working a job, and Superman's helping him deal with his worries about not being a good enough parent and how can he tell his kids what to do when he never did the right thing in the first place that ended him up in jail. And even though Superman was the guy that stopped him from doing what he did and put him in jail, was still there to counsel him after and tell him he's not a bad person. It's all this amazing stuff that I do hope we see more of in the DCU. And while it was only short, I like the way that even this tiny exchange between Superman and Lana, obviously not knowing that he's Clark, was played by Tyler Hecklin getting that side of the character out. And then we get to the end of the episode and I'm asking, where does this show go for another five episodes? This felt like 
I mean, a penultimate episode, if not the season finale. There was so much build-up that I enjoyed that I was actually going to be okay with no action spectacle payoff. It felt like it was all the build-up that their next week's season finale was going to be that big showcase. But we had it here, and that part of the story wrapped itself up, and it was certainly serviceable, considering the limits of a TV budget. And we've got five more episodes. The Kryptonian army is surely done yeah that part of the story is all wrapped up that seems a little bit of a of a shame considering how long we've been working toward it that it's wrapped up in one episode but at the same time i think edge by himself or even with his little minion that is left it could still be enough of a threat to warrant another five episodes where do we go we'll see you next week The Flash, episode 13 of season 7, Musgrave. Cecile is forced to confront her past in order to break free from a psychic prison. Chester takes over for Cisco, but makes a mistake that puts Barry in serious danger, while Joe investigates Kristen Kramer's old military ties. Which is the part of the story that is literally the bookends. This episode is in no way about Joe or what he's doing. The fact that it's in the synopsis is laughable other than to write him completely out of this episode, which is weird. He expositions at the beginning about what he's about to do. He leaves and then doesn't return until the crisis is over. Not once being involved while Cecile is walking around with some kind of entity taking over her mind and his adopted son slash son-in-law, which is such a weird thing to say, is sitting there actually dying inside of his own body. We get a tease that maybe Kramer was somehow involved in the deaths of an old unit, and that's what Joe has found out, but we'll have to wait until next week to find out for sure and why we should care. 13 episodes in, and I've already lost count. How many have rendered Barry's speed powers useless? But here's another one. Hell, he's not even in the real world, and he's not even the one to defeat the bad guy in the fake world. He's only there to convince the other person in the scene, in this case Cecile, that she can do it. Which, like I've said in Batwoman with Cameron Johnson playing Luke or in Superman and Lois with Jonathan, it's finally giving someone else as a secondary character a little bit more to do. But a forced backstory to reveal that Cecile... Oh, actually, no, she's had some time in a psych ward before only to then retroactively give purpose and meaning to this episode which had already started... Is there not a better way to do it? Anyway, even the synopsis. I read it before watching, and I think the part about Chester's big mistake is a little overstated. Come on. I get them wanting to highlight how new guy on the job that they wanted to make him come across, but the actual mistake? A little weak sauce. I don't think he deserved to be as hard on himself to try and milk that sort of emotional reaction from the audience either. Sue Dearborn, she returns as well, a character I'd almost forgotten about, if not for her, again, exposition dump to talk about a character that definitely will not be coming back thanks to the actor being fired. But twice here we get where Ralph is and why he can't be here. Just like your favourite soaps talking about a character played by an actor that has left and gone on to bigger and better things and will no way, no how, come back to the show that you are watching. They talk about why Ralph will not be back, even though in world he absolutely could have if they really wanted him to. But Sue, she seems to be sticking around again for reasons. Adding another character to the ever-growing roster of The Flash, which at this point is so big, 
They almost need a substitution system like some kind of sports team. Sue is in? Well, I guess Allegra has to miss out. If they're both in, well, it's a good thing Cisco and Camilla are gone. Five episodes left in this season as well, and things really need to start picking up. That'll do us for episode 21 of It's All Part of the Plan. Ideally, by next episode, I will have seen Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. And we are getting ever so close to Superman Legacy going into production that we will start to see and hear a few things along the way. I know James Gunn, a couple of weeks ago, replied to someone on threads that, no, you will not be seeing the costume before we go into production. That just will not be happening. We're not putting it out there. Probably not to have to deal with the negative reactions that are going to come. Let's be honest, they will happen. It could be the most definitive, the most beautiful, the most perfect, the most accurate Superman costume we have ever seen. And at least 40% of people online are going to hate the thing. Also this year, like I said, Creature Commandos will be hitting screens at some time. I mean, hell, we might have a release date over the next week, but we're starting to see a little bit more come out, new cast members come along the way, so there will be details. 2024 is going to be both a big and little year for DC. Little in the sense of actual deliveries. We're getting Creature Commandos as a soft launch of the DCU. We're getting a Joker sequel that will go no further than that in its own franchise. We're getting a fourth season of a show that's already been cancelled in Superman and Lois and we're going to get another season of Harley Quinn that also probably won't continue beyond that season but while all that's happening we're going to be getting some more castings and some bigger characters Superman Legacy will go into production we might see a little bit more what shape this ongoing this upcoming DCU is going to take and when the pieces are going to start being put in place Star Wars seems to be in a weird spot at the moment. Marvel seems to be in a weird spot. So it's not necessarily a bad thing for DC to also be in a bad spot. It's not necessarily the black sheep, even though Aquaman does close a chapter that has been particularly dark for a number of reasons. But hopefully with a quieter year on the mainstream front in 2024, and then season 2025 comes along, we've got a new Superman and hopefully a kick-ass trailer to introduce people to the new actor, the new universe. We've got a lot to look forward to over the next 12 months. I'll be back next time on It's All Part of the Plan, episode 22. Enjoy your DC. Get into geek.